Finally, I you you've fallen victim to my trap. I've captured Matt, and now we, there's nothing that you can do. You you five who are here. <laughs> you monster! You'll never get away with it. But I, I already got his best friend like this. Matt, if you're okay, say nothing. He's okay. <laughs> All right. He can't, he can't not say nothing. He, he is in the shadow realm. <laughs> what do you want, you monster? That there is only one thing that you can do to, to release him from where I've put him and where he is currently. I, I, I have this this crystal. It, it, it plays some audio. Uh, you know, takes like 40 minutes or so. Might be nice to listen to. You know, if you're uh, winding down after a day of work or on on, on the drive home or something. I, I don't know. I'm just a big bad evil guy. Yeah, do I know about Fiend. that? <laughs> <laughs> can I roll for history on that one? Yeah, you can go ahead and roll for for right, history on that one. Let's see. Uh, 16. Oh yeah, sixteen. Yeah, you've heard of these. Um, uh, typically, in the in the land of Podcastia, these are pretty common. Okay, cool. Do we know like Do we know how they work? Will we be, do we have to like get instructions from him or like what's the deal with that? Oh no, it's it's really easy. Uh, just you know, Spotify, Apple, uh, it, it plays this this cool sound, and then and then it just happens. So do we just like sit down next to it or like does he does he? Do we have to stay where we are? He said 40 minutes, so I'm, I'm going to get comfortable. Yeah, sure. I'm going to get off my horse and sit down, if that's okay. Behold, I've, I've started to play it. Listen and behold! Welcome to Six Degrees of Celebration, Dungeons and Dragons edition. I'm Alan. And Mercury is still retrograding, <laughs> which means Matt is in the Shadow Realm. Uh, <laughs> but I've taken this opportunity to invite a group of intrepid adventurers to join me in a discussion about the world-famous game of Dungeons and Dragons. So if you guys want to go around and introduce yourselves and, and your role in our most recent campaign that we're currently in. So I think I'm, it's only fair that the DM goes first. Oh, that's true. That's, that's true. true. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm I'm James. Uh, I, I'm the DM, and I play everyone else. <laughs> what is what does GM stand for? D- DM or GM is a dungeon master, or more more generally, uh, game master. So I, I run the things. The master game. I'm Max. I play a monk whose name is Lucius Tolloway or Lucian Bellister, depending on how he's feeling when you ask him. My name is Dan. Uh, I play a female Azimar, which is sort of like a, a celestial human. Um, and my character's name is Dendra. Uh, the last name we're still working on. We're still we're still getting to that part of the, the memory bank. Last time I checked, we're still working on that first name too. Is that yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one's that one's it's got an asterisk next to it right now. Life has many names, Ed Boy. <laughs> and Dendra, what uh, what class are you playing? Oh, I am I'm, I'm sorry. I am uh, dual classing, so I started Barbarian and now moving into fighter. I'm your I'm the beat stick. <laughs> the beats. Yep. I'm Gwen. I play uh, Chedva, Centaur Artificer. I make the gadgets, but the gadgets are also magic. So I just, I smack, I hit, I heal, I spit. The whole kit and caboodle. (laughs) My name is Michael, and I play uh, Goliath Wizard. 
uh, named Nexus Athunagene. Don't worry about pronounce, pronouncing that last name. No one knows how to pronounce it. Um, and I am the Arcanist Extraordinaire, the guy who all of these characters turn to when they see something funky magic, and they're like, what's that, smart wizard man? And I'm like, uh, uh, and then I have to come up with something that sounds int- sounds uh, correct, but they all just believe me because I'm apparently the guy that they talk to about that. That's true. <laughs> what does it do? And then just ask me to identify <laughs> that I got it. <laughs> it's the potentiation chamber. It does the potentiating. <laughs> And I'm Alan. Uh, I play Sonata Venma, Doctor Sonata Venma, Sir Doctor Sonata Venma. Um, I'm the doctor of the group. I'm a an undisclosed race uh, monk as well. Ma- Max and I are both playing the exact same class and subclass, which yeah, ironic. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's several to choose from, and somehow we both ended up on the same one. Very opposite playstyles too. Yes, yeah, Sorry. we no, you're you fine. Are, yes. <laughs> we we both play the same class, same cl- subclass, but you would never know it by how we play those subclasses. Um for sure. Yeah. We've all been playing D&D together for 3 years. Coming End up on 3 years. 2019, yeah. 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 So, we've gone through one campaign together, we've gone through a few one-offs. We're in our second big campaign together. Uh and I just wanted to get all of us together and talk about D&D as a whole. I've got a ton of questions that I'd love to ask the group, but if you guys have other topics you want to talk about, we can totally do that. Um, but I do want to just start off by asking you guys, like, why do you play D&D? So I'm going to start that off. We all know each other from a summer job working at a summer camp. For many, many years, we did that together. And the last summer, we all worked there. I made the conscious decision of saying, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. I know a bunch of people here want to play Dungeons and Dragons. We're going to play Dungeons and Dragons in the off season because I think it'll be a fun thing to do. And then sort of coalesced into this group that somehow has managed to survive through almost three years now. So it was just... I always thought D&D was a cool thing. And then I basically shoehorned a bunch of my friends into being like, you like D&D? We're going to play D&D. You're going to like it. <laughs> or if they were like on the fence, we just kind of shoved them over to the fence of the side of D&D and just like kind of gave them all the materials. And we're like, here, you're you're a part of this now. <laughs> it's funny how this is the off-season D&D like group, quote unquote, even though most of us yeah. never went back on the eternal off-season. So uh, you're the only thing that makes this accurate. <laughs> I know. I know personally for me, uh, I got exposed to D&D like my first year because of one of the fellow staff members that we had. He was very big into it and he really introduced it to me as a, a staff that was new. Um, and then Mike, I actually ran uh, a campaign with as well as Gwen and we had some some fun just kind of sandboxing that and then please, the please first like don't bring up those campaigns it was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was incredibly yeah. cursed it was and then it was the amazing. first real campaign was when alan did the one that max was referring to where we all just kind of were like yeah let's actually do this i ended i've played before what was it before in the off season but it was all i have like a bunch of fourth edition books that i never used because finding people was hot, tough and then i just kind of got yanked in because like i think i saw like an old like fan movie or whatever like gamers or whatever it was rise of darkness it was just funny i was like i want to play that i'm gonna run around it. and then fucking through the 
off-season campaign, we just finally got a group. And yes, that campaign was especially cursed, but it was also yeah. great. It was the best. I mean, yeah, as most starter campaigns are. Yeah, I've I've been playing for God seven years, almost going on eight, probably, um, which is a long period of my life. Uh, and I I play D anD D almost exclusively to tell stories um, because I I first fell in love with playing D anD D as a dungeon master. Uh, because I bought all the books and then all of my friends were like, you men with the books, you will be the DM, you will do it. Uh, and then I was just kind of like, I, I guess. And then I came up with some incredibly cursed ideas that, uh, only the mind of a like 16, 17 year old could do. Uh, and like we play every week or we try to every week schedules <laughs> permitting, but I this is not my only D and D that I play. I play almost every week, once to twice a week. I on a separate D and D server. I run games probably once a week or so, if not more, as people ask. And my my life has become like on and off just casual D and D. And I think I play D and D similar to uh, what Mike said. Is like I. Just really enjoyed telling stories and it gives me an excuse to learn all these really cool things in kind of building this setting and uh, subsequently running a, a campaign in it. I've learned about thing, everything from how uh, ocean and air currents affect climate to most recently how the Mesopotamians thought about ghosts. Uh, and it gives me an excuse to learn about that. Uh, and that's really cool. And it also makes it uh, more acceptable for me to talk to myself in the car on the way home at night. <laughs> yeah. For context, James, for the campaign we are currently in, has like a full on website with like literal weather patterns and like tectonic plates and stuff. Like it's <laughs> it's 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 bewildering. I'd love to <laughs> dig into that a little bit, James. I know that world building is a passion of yours. Like, what was your process? Our world is, or your world that we all exist in is, is called Telthian, right? Yeah, that's kind of the working working name for it. Um, and I kind of, yeah, that was, I haven't decided if that's the name for the world or the island that you're currently on. Um, and I kind of stumbled into it. Uh, I made a map because at some point I was like, oh, maybe I'll get to run D&D &D at some point for, for someone. I don't know who. Uh, and then I realized I didn't like that map. So I made that map part of a larger, what I thought at the time was continent. And then based on the rough scale, we realized that continent was more of like the size of New England or, or like the, somewhere between the size of New England and India. That's a pretty big scale. And, and it just sort of grew from that. I learned a lot from YouTube videos about all this different type of stuff from people who are much more knowledgeable than I am. And I kind of stumbled my way into this. Not that I am the current DM, but I think a lot, I think what sort of nudged James in the direction was I I ran our first one shot during our original campaign. And for that, I did my own sort of world building to make it feel like to make it feel like it all meshed together, even though it was just for this one game, one game session. James will just come to me. I'll get random messages at like three in the morning from him being like, hey, look at this cool thing. I just found out that's really interesting and neat. And 
if it wasn't for D&D, that sort of relationship that we have and talking about weird cultural facts from way in the past would never would never happen. Because I know at least growing up in school, history and social studies, I couldn't care. I could I couldn't care less about them. And now that I'm older and I have a different framework to understand it, I'm like, oh, this is super cool. This is super interesting. Like I myself have listened to countless hours of videos and podcasts talking about like ancient history and the way it worked and things like that. Just simply so I can be like, okay, I want a world build. I want it to feel real. I want to feel like the past and the culture feel real. So what's real world influence I can pull from? The Gallic people. I totally feel that. Yeah, I I am an archaeology major in college. I literally take courses on ancient civilizations for credits. And that honestly, D&D is what I one of the reasons why I went into that field, because I like looking at old stuff. And then I also like learning about stuff and then seeing like other people world build off of it, like uh, seeing where people draw inspiration from it and using it to fuel my random games that I run occasionally. I thought you were going to say the exact opposite where you were like, I, I started to study archaeology so that I can make my D&D better. Well, I did that. It's kind of like a, a give and take from both sides. Like I, I got into ancient cultures because I liked fantasy. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of like came into this weird feedback loop of like bouncing back and forth. So now I'm kind of stuck. <laughs> it's really interesting when you look at it from an outside perspective, because I definitely have not dabbled in in the world building as heavily as like you, Alan or James or Max or yeah. even Mike. I, I would say that I've looked at potentially making it. And then I was like, oh, it's not as simple as just making a world and just putting cities and stuff here. You actually have to like think about what's going on socially and economically between all of the different cities and like regionally what's happening and like the individual like storylines that the uh, characters could interact with, with different people and different buildings that they'd want to go to and like different things that are that it gets very, very, very in depth. And just thinking about that versus the, the it, like the two campaigns that we've gone through, both with Alan's and with James, there's a lot of depth that I didn't realize you guys put into it. And I very much appreciate that you guys took the time to actually like, put that in to make it really feel like we were in the setting. That's what I like about this group. So we have like a pretty even distributed spectrum of like people who are like really hardcore and have been like doing it for years, like Mike. And then you have like people like me who are like, Oh, I like, I played it a little, but in terms of actual campaign experience, very limited. So like we get a lot of like different perspectives. It makes it for fun and wacky, like interactions and stuff. It definitely does. And I think, to your point, Dan, when you were talking about how there was like depth that you didn't even realize and that you have to all this stuff prepared. I've heard it from like both sides where like you can prepare like a bajillion things and like you Gwen might go through your whole campaign and never realize that like any of it had relevance. My my mentality has always been like you could probably like as long as you know your world enough, you can kind of like fudge whatever anybody asks you for. And then if you have players who you know are never going to ask about the political structure of your world, you never have to worry about building one. <laughs> yeah, or at least you build the framework. And then if they ask, then you go, okay. And then you improvise because DMing is, you can prepare for DMing. Mm. 
but you you can prepare for a session but once you are in that session the players are going to ask what steve breadman is going to be doing because you mentioned him like a kind of offhandedly and then now you have to come up with his whole family tree because they're in, interested in trying to figure out if he's the bbg and like you're just like okay i guess like players will latch i have seen players latch on to like the most trivial of things and then I, as the DM or like the DM has to be like, OK, flesh this out now. And that's one of my favorite things, because they can be like, oh, yeah, you random farmer guy. We're going to like help your entire family because your daughter's sick. And like we're going to like derail the entire campaign to go and like help you do this one thing. And it's like that's what I love about Deity. Just like, oh, yeah, we could just drop everything and go do this random other thing that no one had prepared for. Steve Breadman. Yeah, he's he's seventh generation. His favorite bread that he likes to make is rye, and he goes to work at five a.m. every morning. He's been bread manning. You sounding like the M- the NPC <laughs> profiles of that frontier thing that yep. James was preparing. But then you go time. into his back room, and he has a diary that talks about culling the wheat of society. Oh yeah, and- he's, <laughs> he's definitely got like the dark hold in there. Yeah, that's how he just find the bread man organization. <laughs> James, are there oath of wheat? Are there any like on Mike's point, are there any things so far that we've latched on to where you're like, oh, no. Oh, like you don't have because we're still playing. You don't have to go into like the details of it. But like, I feel like so far, all the hooks that have been presented have been pretty reasonable. And there hasn't been anything that we've like dived too off the rails on. Like, Like, how do you cover the whole city? Oh, that was a different campaign, but we can tell that story eventually. Oh my god! (laughs) Our inability to think rationally. Listen, we—I had one brain cell, and it was smoking by the end of that conversation. All right. (laughs) Oh yeah, that was like three hours. We were just sitting in call. I think to answer Matt uh, Max's question, the. It hasn't been too erratic. There have been times where there are like random questions that I know I have the answer to. It's somewhere in whether it's in a, a notebook I had from three months ago or like some app that I had an idea and just wrote it down quickly. And I know there's an answer somewhere. I just can't find it. And there's there's a, a minute or two of panic as I'm trying to find most recently how many moons does <laughs> does the world that they're playing in have um because i was 90 percent sure that there was only one but i wanted to make sure uh just in case i had mentioned elsewhere and i think it, it it's important to realize that yes i enjoy doing all this stuff and and making all these like cultures and maps and and stuff like that but it is by no means required to run D. like all you really need is a base is like a name for a town maybe and something happens and and that's kind of it you just need a place for things to happen and a thing that then happens and you can you can run D and it can be awesome yeah and we're like what i would consider by like modern standards of D, a very like critical role as group critical role being a popular D show online and that we have a lot of role playing and a decent amount of combat and it's a balance between the two and there are groups that do nothing but like dungeon crawls and combat 
where it's just like room to room puzzles, traps and fighting to get gold or just because it's like that's the part of the game they enjoy. And then, yeah, I, I mean, we like. we spent like a session and a half, two sessions at like a party. Yeah. <laughs> just role playing social encounters. We've spent, we've spent the last was five sessions running through mystery doors in a tower. <laughs> Like just running from point A to point B and stressing James out with his version of the map and then our like really weird version of the map and trying to tell him our notation for going in these doors. And we're just like, all right, we're going to go from the moon viewing chamber to like we're gonna go to the arcane smithy to the negotiating hall to the swamp. And then we're going to go through the first door of the swamp. And it's like that's what we've been doing just for five whole sessions, basically. We really have like that's fun. We haven't really done much in terms of like dungeon crawling though. And like you think about it, that's like an interesting thing about this group because like we have gone into like isolated areas where you go like room to room and fight. But like I don't think I could ever, ever describe it as like a full on like dungeon where there's like a start and end and there's like all these obstacles and then it like comes to the big thing at the end with like the loot. I think there's like conventional, which is interesting. Yeah, and I wonder if that's just like our nature as a group. Because I like I love the the topic that you know you can play D and D as like a heavy combat thing. You could play it as only role playing, and we as a group have kind of like established a way that we all enjoy playing together. And dungeon crawling has just like never fallen into that. I think this tower that you guys are currently in has uh, kind of been the closest to a dungeon crawl. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah, sort we've been, of we kind of hex crawling through it. Yeah, it's this like closed environment, sort of. So far as you know, uh, <laughs> that uh, and you can. There's different like subsections with different people or different things to interact with or fight, but you can also just run through the dungeon room to room, trying to not get hit with you know monsters or traps or the the fantasy IRS. Yeah, evading taxes. Or in a more accurate case, 73 counts of arson. Yeah. <laughs> I think for our group... Don't worry, it wasn't us. <laughs> that's true. A lot of the times for our group, the combat ha- interacts with the story on such a level that like it's, it, never, it never feels like we have to go into a dungeon to find those things. It's like, especially with Alan's campaign, it was a lot of like going to different places to solve a problem and there was never like a dun like the dungeon was more like the social interactions to figure out what we needed to do to get the thing done it was with, way more puzzle heavy yeah and then with james's campaign it's a lot more sandboxy and in that it's like we can go anywhere on this island but at the same time there are things we want to get done and then it, through that it funnels us to the 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 combat the encounters and the interactions that yeah, way so like connect the dots and it makes a path for us to where we think we would want to go yeah i do want to give credit to james because i think you know you can always look back on a campaign or or whatever and be like man i wish i had done this different i wish i had done that different and at the end of the day if everybody had fun then it was a success but i do i do regret sometimes the fact that I was like, hey, you guys are all characters. Cool. You got your own whatevers. Awesome. Here's your, what you should be focused on. It's my story. You're go do this thing. And James is very much as like, here's my world. And I know you guys all have stuff you want to do in it. So figure out yourselves how you're going to do that. But I don't think one's wrong or right. Cause no, like, I don't think so. Because like yours was, yeah, a little bit more linear and like James is a bit more open. But like 
there are benefits and like downsides to both and it's fun to be like oh because like sometimes you do just like i don't know you're playing like old click and point adventure you're just like where do i go what do i do or sometimes you just want like a thing guide you so it's like yeah there's a balance Hmm. Yeah. yeah like sometimes sometimes you want like we have no one talks about anything of their personal goals in this party in james's <laughs> campaign like i know i know as a player that lucy has something to do at like the beginning of summer but like he hasn't mentioned that at all and like we have all these things that like we're just like keeping for, like, you have, like these secrets and it's like oh yeah we have all these like things that were going on but then it's like that's also an interesting thing but then there's also the flip side where it's also very nice to be like there's a common thing that we have to go do like a bad guy like th- there's a reason why it's a classical trope for a D campaign you're sitting in a tavern explosion outside or like something happens the big bad is like throwing fire down on like this town and it's like that's there's a reason why it's a classic trope because it brings people together it gives people a common purpose i was actually just about to bring that up too is like even though we all have our own different things that we're kind of keeping from each other, we are still like a group in the unconventional sense of like a normal D&D adventuring group. And I was just thinking while you were saying that, Mike, the way that we all found each other in Alan's campaign and the way we all found each other in James' <laughs> campaign are very, very different. They are, yeah. But we somehow got to a similar sort of jive. And it also helps with the settings being radically different too. like Alan's campaign. Like I, I have played, I don't know if you all have realized, but I have a specific type when I play a, a character, I like to play arcane casters. No, I've noticed. I really like arcane casters. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, and, and I have played a wizard in both campaigns and it is drastically different for what Alan's was a little, what, is colloquially called a low magic campaign, which is where magic is not super popular or super common, and anything around that is either restricted or just really not done. And I was playing a wizard, which mainly thrives off of finding spells in spell scrolls and like find and like doing magic off of that. And like uh, me, I had to like make specific and specific decisions whenever I chose spells because I knew that. This was a low magic campaign. I need to make these spell choices count or I'm going to miss out on on being able to be useful because I'm supposed to be. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. But in James's campaign, I just walk and find the store and I ask James for a list of things that the player wants. And then he gives me like the select few that he has prepared or has. And I'm like, cool, I'll get this and this because I know that this will be useful. And it lets me strategize a bit more and just be even more utility because now I'm just the arcane boy and everyone asks me questions about the arcane things. And I'm like, oh, God, (laughs) does my character know this? Does the player know this? I did have a question for James in regards to what we mentioned about how the start of the campaigns were different. I wanted to ask James if he could talk about how he started this campaign and like why he did it that way or like what his thought process was. Right. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time being like, oh, God, how am I going to start this campaign? And then uh, I forget where I had first seen this, but um, the concept of running a small little, for lack of a better term, do to do like not even an adventure, just an ad. Like, um, a session yeah, 0.5. A session 0.5, anything like that. 
basically to get the characters from hi i'm bob i'm a dirt farmer and my family has lived in this field for the past eight generations into hi i am uh bob the cleric uh who's slayer of, of evils and so like gwen and alan's character they kind of met in one of these little sessions mike and max's character met in one of these little sessions and each one i kind of had some little thing so alan and gwen's characters uh, they stumbled across uh some trader who had been like his caravan had been attacked by a giant spider and they had to rescue him from that in the woods mike's character witnessed uh, max's character get pickpocketed in a crowd and they kind of chased down the pickpocket together and then we're like oh we're headed the same way i guess we can sort of head along that way and then they ran into some bandits classic leaning tree yeah uh, dan's character uh was sort of on her own and was looking for work she got this job and uh, i sort of ended each of these sessions with uh each of these characters picking up this same job and they were all on the road on the same road at different uh different points and so in the first session that we all had together it was them sort of running into each other and saying oh i'm headed this way what are you doing this way you you look like capable fellows or individuals uh oh we're, we're looking at the same goblins okay well let's go together and then so they by the end of this they all are sort of together they all are fighting and uh realizing hey we are pretty good together i'm headed to this next city are you sure why not and sort of bring them together that way on on that note i feel like a like a decent amount of D is the principle of yes and from improving, where it's like you never really want to shut down an idea unless you have a good reason to do it like character motivation things like that at least i can speak for my character in the current campaign he just wants to see the world and see what's out there and like see cool things. And that's his entire motivation. So when other characters are like, Hey, I have this one thing going on in my backstory that I need to get fixed. My character's like, sure, let's I'm down. Where are we going? Like, (laughs) yeah. So I think at least from the, from my perspective, that's how a lot of D and D goes where like, there are moments where you may not want to head in a certain direction for whatever reason, but sometimes it's like biting the bullet and just going yes and to see where it goes. And it's finding that balancing act. I do love a 0.5 session idea just because whenever anybody comes to the table, even when it's people like us where we've been around each other, we're very comfortable with each other. When you're coming with a new character into a new campaign, there is like this weird, awkward ice breaking that you have to do where you're like, well, I know you guys know I'm Alan, but now I'm Rogar. Like I'm now I'm Bar- Barack Obama. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> you know, I love the a point five session because when we got to session one and we didn't have all of our point five sessions together. So like I didn't get to see what Max and Mike did. I didn't get to see what Dan did. So when Gwen and I got to the table with everybody for session one, we had this interaction. So now I'm more comfortable in my character. And when we all came together, I could see that everybody else was also more comfortable. And it was a much more natural meeting where you get to like have a really cool interaction like right off the bat. 
It was yeah. like a one-on-one -on -one with a teacher before you actually start <laughs> like an exam or something or like a class. Like it, it just, it gets you prepared for the world or like the class before you actually just get jumped into doing everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it also helps you set up interplayer relationship, inter interchar and interplayer relationships where it's like, Hey, you're not just like a guy at a bar talking to these random strangers. You just traveled for a week and fought some bandits with this dude who got pickpocketed. And like, so you know each other a little bit. You guys talked in session and out of session. And like you have you have like a person like a wing, like you basically act as like wingmen for each other. You have a person who you can trust in this group that's forming within the, the character's mind. So you're not just like ro rolling up to this group and being like, hey, here's all my secrets and <laughs> backstory. And I I am the lost noble heir of the kingdom. And it's like, and, and you can. And you can very quickly throw that trust away. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, so my character and Mike's character started the campaign in the same city. Like we were the first people we each met in the group. And I think my character has burned all good things. Well, yeah. <laughs> You've committed multiple crimes. Okay, listen. And right. faked your own death. Okay, I'm yes. Can we talk about the fact that Max pickpocketed someone for their credentials at a school and then when he got caught faked his own death by jumping <laughs> off of a bridge yeah. and getting caught by his broom of flying underneath and then came back to everyone was like all right that's done let's let's get out of here and i'm like yeah. your your aunt works here are you gonna <laughs> tell her that you're alive oh yeah and then we didn't tell her that she almost had a heart attack. it was not my story yeah, to tell like like there's a reason why I've, i i i I'm just going to say this. I was I'm playing a wizard and wizards are known for having like familiars, like whether it be like uh, ravens or like cats or whatever. And they use them familiars to like go and scout out for things and like keep watch at night. I wanted to play a wizard that didn't have a familiar or didn't use a familiar because mm -hmm. I always did that in all of my games. And this man made me go and buy the fine familiar spell <laughs> so that I could make a crow that would follow him around. So that I wouldn't get surprised by his crimes. <laughs> I didn't make you do anything. You chose to do it. I chose to do it because I don't want to get blindsided by <laughs> blindsided by crime. There are so What's many that? moments like that where it's like you would never, if you thought these characters were coming together in in some way and they each had these goals, you would never in in your life think, oh yes, this character will uh, escape the police by throwing himself over the side of a bridge into a raging river, um, but not actually. Or oh yes, these two characters, the the happy go lucky noble and the the like goody two shoes uh, doctor, they're gonna go infiltrate a noble's manor and snoop around bedrooms and and see why did they get invited to this party that's kind of suspicious no one likes us why are we oh, being invited sus. <laughs> you know how do they know about these things that have happened that no one should know about but talking about all that like all these like different characters maybe it makes me like because we talked about like how oh like friends like alan makes the world one way james makes the world another way and stuff but they're like that also like another smaller it's like People play and make characters different. Like Mike loves playing wizard McSpell, long beard, and change bringer or whatever, right? <laughs> That's just like, the voice I do. Right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, the way we build and the way we portray and make the backstories all comes together in like the world is obviously a big thing that we're in, but like character interaction is like very like constant and like moment to moment. So it's like, yeah. And that comes down to just role playing and combat. Like friends, I love multiclassing. I'm I'm 
I'm, I'm off the stuff for now, but like, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for the quadra class artificer build. Don't don't tempt me. Don't tempt wait, me. I'm gonna start casting. I, I, I love multi-class artificer. Don't tempt me. All right, I'll I'll, I'll do it. I do think that's interesting. The the idea that other that people play differently. Gwen, and I don't want to speak for you, but I have always gotten the sense that you're the kind of person that you like to look at different abilities and figure out how you can like splice stuff together to do something really cool or unique, you know, and be like, all right, if I was a warlock and I mix this other class, I can put these two trades together and like do something really cool over here. So it's partially kind of that. And also just like I see something cool because like all the like neat stuff that defines your like class or subclasses early on. So if you have two of the early on things, then you're even more defined with even more unique stuff. And it's just fun seeing something thematically, like even if it doesn't make a ton of gameplay sense, just be like, that looks cool. Like, oh, that subclass is called Divine Soul. That subclass is called Sun Soul. Put them together. I'm playing it. <laughs> Divine Sun Soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it brings up a good like opportunity where in a campaign, there are people, I count myself among like a part of this group that will like munchkin out and build power gamed or min max characters that are like really good at one thing or like pretty good at a lot of things and are like just kind of there for numbers and stats and big damage or whatever but being in a campaign setting really really lifts all of that constraint because you can do whatever the heck you want and you'll still be a viable member of the group Regardless of if you have like a 14 in every stat and you're multi-class six ways, you're still going to have viability and you're still going to have this stuff that you can do. You don't have to be min-maxed. Hmm. Yeah. Whereas I have played a lot of D&D wherein you do need to be min-maxed. I am curious how you guys build your characters when you're when you're creating a character like what what, what gets you there? Like, how do you do that? Uh, I'm going to start this one because I was just thinking about this. Traditionally, and I say traditionally with a very big asterisk because I have not been as exposed to campaigns as much as anybody else in the group. Like I said, I've only been part of the two that we've had, so I've only had a very limited amount of characters that have been made. At first, I didn't really know what sort of characters I wanted to build. I kind of just took something from video game culture that already existed and then tried to put a twist on it or try and mimic it with the limited set of stuff that we had available to us in D&D. But something that I got exposed to in your campaign, Alan, that I have fallen in love with a lot was giving the DM a series of things that I wish for a character to do and then letting them create it oh. and just build the whole backstory about it. And I really took that to heart when I came into this campaign. Because I told James, I was like, I want X, Y, and Z. The rest, go go hard with. I could care less. And it's very, very awesome because as it stands right now, my character doesn't know their backstory at all. And I'm slowly learning it throughout the campaign. And after my previous character in Alan's campaign, the first one I started with had perished because he was following what he normally would. Alan was like, here, I have this idea if you want. And I was like, hell yeah, that sounds awesome. And he just kind of built a whole story around it. It was really cool following the path of that character that he had already had something in his brain going and just being able to play it out. 
Hi, uh, dear listeners. Uh, yes, this is me, James, the one who strangled uh, him, Dan's former character, to death. Hi. Uh, pleased to meet cool. you. Yep. I was neutral, right? I didn't, I didn't say yes or no. James, were you happy at stepping away from the, the player killing player death um, of our previous campaign? Were you happy when Dan came to you and he was like, hey, make a character for me, but just make sure it like hits these points? Yeah, I, Dan was not exaggerating when he said, I want X, Y, Z. There were like three things. Yeah, it was a very short list. <laughs> I was like, like, I want to be an Azimar. I want to go something melee. And then there was like one or other thing. You were like, uh, I'm thinking like a ghost in the shell, maybe. Yeah. Uh, um, she, she like, she woke up in the middle of nowhere and she's kind of suspicious of this, this like patron that's speaking her head. Yeah. And I was like... Please give me a little bit more at first, <laughs> but then after after time and playing through has been really really fun. This past session was a lot of fun. I didn't realize it was going to happen that soon, but this this like extra planar entity that's been kind of talking to Dan's character and like giving her missions to serve her god and stuff, kind of tried to kill her, and and it's been really interesting to see how both the character and the party uh, are reacting to that. A little bit of backstory before we go too, too far. So there are like, when you design characters, there are like four things that you normally go off of. And I did use those. So there's like a player trait, an ideal, a bond, and a flaw. So I used the like preset ones, but I didn't really like some of the ones that were there. So I was like, James, I don't know what I want my character to be. I would like do stuff with it. And he was like, okay, cool. And I I basically told him two of the four things that I had done off the preset. And then he was like, here, you can do this and this for the, the other two. And then he just kind of filled the the rest of the shell of the character that I had made. And it came, I, I love it. I, I genuinely love this character. It's very fun to play. I know when I was making this character, I love stories. And I love reading stories. I like making my own stories in my head. I sometimes write them down as words, but I like stories. And I had like this inkling of an idea. And then I went to James and I was like, James, hey, this idea. What do you think about this idea? And how many hours do you think we talked about my character alone, James? I don't even know. It was it was hours? over it was over quite a while too. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And and like you came to me with these little like short vignettes of like, ah, oh, this is one of the interactions my character had with her or with his sister. I think Max is very much a um, like you can you can think of your character in these situations and then tell a little story about that and get a lot of meat for your character's personality out of that just from how they react to certain situations. And I know at least for this character, I was like, the big question I asked myself was, why is my character out adventuring? Because I think a lot of the times it falls into the trope of I don't have anybody like X, Y, and Z bad thing happened to the people around me. I'm now adventuring type of idea. And I was like, what if like, what if like overall, like if you looked at the situation, pretty well adjusted person, family still there, everything's going good, home life, not the best, but like it's, it's going, it's, it's there, like there's still healthy relationships and everything like that. And I was like, okay, that, but also adventuring. Because I also think that 
I looked at it from a perspective of a little bit of that, as well as handing my DM things that he could do with it. Because I think giving the fact that my character has a whole family that's still alive is like this entire sideline of like characters and actions and consequences that like when we end up having a major villain can pull in to affect my character in ways that normally wouldn't be. So I think I looked at it from a camp of what would what do I think would make an interesting story to tell and what goodies can I give the DM to play around with and have fun with to enrich the story that way. So if you're following along, my character is the exact opposite of Max's. (laughs) (laughs) Woke up, very limited memory, (laughs) no no connections to the material plane. I like your idea, Max, because there is the ongoing argument that like nobody who adventures has a happy life, right? Like (laughs) nobody who who adventures would be adventuring if they could be home with like their family. Yeah. And so I I think it's just I took that idea and I went like, okay, well, like not every fan, no family's perfect. And so there's going to be arguments and things like that. And it's like, what if what if instead of like quitting cold turkey from your family and like in the real world, if it gets to that point, what if instead the coping mechanism was to just like mess around in the world and see what's out there and just like basically backpack across Europe <laughs> is, is the equivalent of what my character's doing right now. And then when backpacking across your sister, immediately try to punch her in the face. Listen, there's history there. All right. There's a lot of baggage to unpack. Yeah. Listen, those you sisters, you understand your series come from. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like Lucy didn't tell us his sister was hot. That was like one of my or, favorite no. moments. Or 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 a human. Yeah. Cause my character is a half elf and it was revealed many, many sessions ago now that my sister is a human. Which plays into character dynamics. Which is like what spawned my entire character idea. It, it's really interesting seeing where certain character concepts come from. It can be something uh, as simple as I saw this character in media and I really want to play something similar to that. Or it can literally just be, I saw this option in the character creation thing book. And that kind of made me think of this, which then caused me to think of all these other things and building from there and drawing in different connected uh, aspects. That's yeah, what that, happened that, to me. that is exactly what happened for Nexus because he is a Goliath, which if those of you who don't know what a Goliath is in D&D, they're normally like this stocky, muscular, brutish, barbaric, like your class, like just big, giant, like like they're related to giants, like just these big, buff warriors. And my character is a wizard. And because of the new rules that they introduced, you can swap around like racial traits and things. Because before the some of the newer rules, you had strict ability scores where you had to put certain stats in certain places because that's just how the races were. But with these new rules, you can put them anywhere. So I took my normal racial like plus to my strength because I'm supposed to be buff and I put it into my intelligence because I was born different. And I created this character who was like shunned from society and basically like disowned from his family because he wasn't strong. He was very weak. He was le- he was abandoned, kind of like Spartan kind of style where they just kind of left him out in the woods but he was brought in by the local elder who was also kind of magically inclined and then taught him things. 
and then Calamity because I decided, oh, now I guess I'll have a character that has his entire village <laughs> killed or stasis or whatever they're doing right now. Honestly, I don't know what James has planned for that. I'm kind of scared to ask. But like now nah, and then he went and goes went to study magic to see if he could fix his problems. And now he's smart, I guess, <laughs> smarter than I am. That's cool. I, I mean, and there's no wrong way to make a character. We all know that. So I think it's really interesting to hear how other people do it. Um, I do want to make sure that we have time to talk about like any cool stories that anybody wants to bring up from either this campaign or previous games that they've played. And if I could start, I want to like give a huge shout out to James. So my character is a doctor, but he is like stricken with a, a an illness that was discovered from the ruins that this town he was serving in uncovered. And so the whole town got sick. He's trying to heal them because he's a doctor. And then is ultimately failing, enlists the help of a hag to basically put a stop to everybody's illness temporarily while he goes out to try to find a cure. And I created that whole backstory. And what James did was, through the campaign, he revealed to us that it wasn't a sickness, but a curse, like a long, long old curse that like had been re- remaining around and had now affected all of the people. That was a, a moment where you change a character's backstory. And that can be a really like dangerous place to play in. And I think as a DM, you always want to like give the character like a or the player a really unique moment where they're like, oh shoot, like something I thought about myself isn't true. Like it's a it's a, a thing I think any DM is like, oh I want to like fuck with them in a way that's like really surprising. But I think there's a good way and a, a bad way to do it. And what James did by doing that tweak, I think was amazing because by revealing that it was a curse, he didn't inauthenticate my whole journey up until that point. Like if he had been like, it turns out the hag faked the illness and no one's actually sick and she tricked you into going on this adventure. Now I feel cheapened. It feels like all the time I spent out here was like a waste of my energy. And that's a way to twist in, in what I would imagine would be a bad way. But this this twist was like a surprise for me and it also was a really cool building moment for the character because I got to go oh I feel a little bit better about the fact that I wasn't able to cure this disease because like why would a doctor be able to cure a magical curse disease Uh, okay like that it eases my pride a little bit as a character so thanks James (laughs) I know one little moment that like this wasn't like a whole story but this sort of relates into that like DM taking backstories and like adapting or changing or taking in directions that you didn't expect. We're basically in the campaign Alan run. I had my first character and that went for about like the first like third of the campaign or whatever. And then like departed and what not, not dead, did foot departed away with a kid and all that as a family. And then like sort of faded like security because like then my other character came in and then time passed and like not, no one thought about like them at all because it wasn't relevant to the story. And like very end point, it's like, yeah, main, main villain, like evil person. It's like, yeah, that person you travel with, that's that person's son. And it's like, it's a cool moment where it's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. And it's like, I love little moments and tweaks that like blow your mind and like don't necessarily change everything. But like from your perspective, it like it boggles. I do want to give you kudos for that, because as a as a player deciding with your character to be like actually i think this is where my character would end their journey like in the middle of a campaign to be like i think he's gonna settle settle down and help raise this fatherless child like that was a really cool thing (laughs) i definitely had like a 
a backstory arc change in your campaign as well. And I think I think you had like built it up as well and you had like been planning it for a bit. But the character, not my original character, my original character was power hungry. And that was like his whole backstory, which tied in perfectly. You, you've talked about it on a previous episode, so I'm not going to go too far into that one. We killed him. Yes, you did. <laughs> um, the second character. Oh, hello, that's me. <laughs> Alan had designed was from the place that this whole group was trying to get to. He was uh, a Warforged, which is basically just a robot, dispatched in order to collect stuff uh, that was around the campaign. So starting off, it was very clear cut. This is what you're doing. These are your directives. You're coming, you're, you're, your orders are from this place and you're going to do this thing. Like it was very, get this thing, go back. Simple, clear cut. And then over the course of time, my character started to see some visions and stuff that you had had designed from the creator because the robot was the 174th iteration of this line of designs that the creator had made. And this one was different, so he had free will. So he got to a, a, a point in the campaign, and I remember that, that session very vividly because it was the moment me as the player was like, oh, I have a very large choice that I can make right now. I can either go route A and continue with what I was doing, or I can go route B and do what is morally correct. And just having that ability as a player in a, in a setting that you designed was very, very empowering and really impacted me in my character creation and, and how I play. So I, I very much remember that and I like that aspect. And I feel like James is kind of doing the same thing, but we haven't hit that point yet. <laughs> like there, there's just so many fantastic moments from the campaign that I was a player in that Alan ran and then watching some of the character moments between all of you in this campaign, like one of the ones that blew me away was a couple sessions ago. Uh, Alan's character was feeling just super down. Uh, <laughs> he had, he had just, it, it, it's a happy story. Uh, it, he, he was feeling super down. He, he had, been unable to save this woman who got like knifed in outside of a city because she was a anyway she got knifed and now character wasn't able to save her as a doctor and she he was like oh my gosh why am i a doctor all these people the the people i'm traveling with they can just use magic why did i spend all these years of my life to 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 do this and like out of nowhere gwen's character is like well, because it makes a difference and it pulls out from from that session 0.5 we were talking about earlier, pulls out this moment where Alan's character like uh, rushed in uh, as uh, Gwen's character was like fending off this spider and uh, made sure this this person who'd gotten taken by it was OK and, and all this stuff. And it seemed to like cheer Alan's character up. And I was like, wow. That's an awesome moment, uh, an interaction from before the campaign that I had totally forgotten about at that point. And Gwen just pulls it and beautifully kind of puts it into this, uh, in, in, into this like little lesson. And that was really cool to see. I think one of the moments that jumps out to me 
D&D is a game. You're supposed to have fun. I remember there was one session in Alan's game where we were on like this party boat. Oh no, I was actually going to tell that story too. Oh. And in James's character, his James's character's sister was dead in the bottom of the boat cuz like all these people were slaughtered cuz these other people were after an item that was on the boat. And it like it this this is like 60%, 70% of the way through the campaign. And there's been a lot of stuff that's happened. We've been betrayed, down and out, like on the run. And James's character just hit a break and had the ability to call lightning from the sky. <laughs> so this boat, bottom of it, gets smashed out. James's character walks on water back up to the surface and just starts calling lightning on people. <laughs> and it was like this weird calm and quiet at the end of the session that is indescribable unless you were there. I look back on that moment and I smile because it was this cool moment for character and story that just like didn't expect it to happen, but it sure did. And I think it caught everyone off guard, including James. At the end of that session, I think everyone walked away and was like, well, that was odd. But we came back the next week we played and we can all look back on that story now and be like, that was actually, that's pretty cool. How that like all came together to happen. Didn't, I don't know who it was, but somebody, I think it might have been you, Max, harpooned a lady. And so when she teleported, she teleported without her chest or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, but like that, again, overshadowed by the fact to come later that James's character was like, no one gets to live anymore. I've decided. Yeah. I am now the arbiter of life and death. That was the crazy thing is like he went up and he would judge people and whether or not he felt like they were good or bad people while they're treading water after this like boat capsized, he would just decide to murder them. And it, the scene was painted as like this terrifying storm of like this dragonborn just walking on water and destroying people with lightning. Yeah, between between the lightning and the holding people's head underwater until they drowned, it was it was a stressful time for that character. Um, and it's man, uh, who? <laughs> yeah. I also remember after that session, we all hung around for a little bit, and you were you were a little bit drunk. And oh, and you were just like, D and D is all about having fun. If you are having fun, don't play. Like, change <laughs> how you're playing. So after just committing mass murder in this game, James James went on this long winded conversation about no, no, no. If you are having fun, just play it differently. Make a new character. It's all about having fun. You should be having fun while playing D and D. In some ways, those really emotional moments are fun. When you get to like be with your character as they hit a breaking point and then you kind of deal with what that means. It's definitely a type two fun where it's like <laughs> it's like it's like hiking a mountain in the winter and it's cold and your feet are wet. But then like you get to the top and it's super windy and you can't really see very far. And then you get down to the bottom and you change your socks and you have a, a cup of hot chocolate and you're like, that was enjoyable. What a great analogy. I, I can't take credit for that. I don't know where I got that from. <laughs> your noggin. You're free. And then a couple sessions after, we had the debacle about how you make a larger crystal bomb. God. Uh, Fuming so brain cell. Yeah, the the lack of brain cells in that conversation was staggering. So for, for context, during this campaign, we were going after these weird like crystal things that used like magic juice water things flowing from this circlet to overwrite reality, basically in a limited area. 
where you could basically change aspects of everything within like a, I believe it was established a one kilometer radius. That sounds right. Something like that, yeah. Um, approximately that. Uh, and we were in a really big city <laughs> and we knew that this was the next target. And this city was like four kilometers radius. So we were like, how do how does a person make a bomb of these things that are, have a specific radius <laughs> to cover a bigger radius? So we were in call with Alan for probably two to three hours <laughs> after, after, the after the session, after the <laughs> really session, after bad. we'd already done the session. We were just sitting here. Alan was tired. We were all ready to go to bed. We could not rest until we figured it out. And then we were like, wait. There's more than one bomb. <laughs> and then it just clicked. That's why we kept using the analogy of the bomb. Because <laughs> it, it, it's, it's base. It's not really a bomb, but it was a, an effect that was activated remotely that would do damage in a sense. Mm. It was like 11 at night. <laughs> we were all tired and... <laughs> It was back when we were on Thursdays, too. It was it was uh, I can't even there's no words to describe that that feeling. This is this was the benefit of having Dan's new character, which came from the organization that was kind of doing all of these things is that Dan could be like the exposition dictionary where like <laughs> we you could ask him a question about the organization and Dan would look at me and be like, do I know that? And I'm like, yeah, you know this. Yeah. And so Dan was able to be like my voice being like, yes, the, the crystals only have a one kilometer radius. You cannot make it bigger. And then Max just being like, you would just make it bigger. That's just like how you would get the bigger thing. Or maybe like you put four of them together. Like they're going to like swing it across or we just established very early on in that debate that there was there was never more than two. Like there's never more than one. There was always just one per yeah. city. Because well, because they were never bigger than a kilometer. Yeah, like there's and always that. Always... There's always like a handler, like an overseer, who's like who has the crystal on them. Yeah, and like all this like established stuff, and we just couldn't see past it into actual logic. We we cornered ourselves. Yep, just bad. I've often thought about that conversation and been like, should I have just let you not realize it? Because no, I remember the reason it came on was Lucy. Uh, oh, not, oh my gosh. This is what happens when you play with people. You start calling them the character names. Agen. It was Agen. Agen. Max's character had like keen mind, meaning he should remember like a bajillion things all the time. And so they started talking about where like the one crystal would be. And I remember being like, Max, that feels weird to you. Like something in your mind tells you like that that's like weird. And that's that was the seed that like started the whole conversation. I've often thought like, should I have just like let you let you think there was one, and then like blew up three others? Like, <laughs> I I think that that was like oh, the perfect God. amount of help to give, mm -hmm. right? It's the like it's it's the it's the breadcrumbs, right? It's like you may not find the end of the road, but like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna show you the way. I'm gonna I'm gonna start you on the path whether you arrive at. Yeah. Whether you arrive at the destination or not, like, that's it. And I think it worked. Because it, it, it creates this moment that now we all remember of, like, of this it's conversation of us <laughs> struggling to comprehend basic geometry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And at that How point, didn't we, all, didn't we also have one of them in our possession too? Yes, yes, yes we, we did. Like, we had have, we were like, yeah, because we, were we deactivated like, a bunch before. That was another thing. I love the idea of giving up control as a DM to a player and being like, hey, this is risky, but like, let's do it together. Where like, I think it was James's character, Taslin, who I gave an opportunity to utilize one of the reality changing crystals. Like pretty early on, I knew I had built this in where I was like, I want to make sure they have an opportunity to like, if they do it right, use one of these crystals before it activates and like all James's character decided to do was like change his past so that he could read, but then didn't tell anyone. And change his skin color. Yeah. <laughs> like I I think that moment I think in my mind was over the fact that he did so little was overshadowed by the fact that I think we spent an hour and a half watching James oh, yeah. try to <laughs> try to understand how to even as a player, not as a character, just James the person could not understand what you were explaining oh, about like how to interact rough. with it and oh, things like God. that. And he was just he, like, I was losing it. I got up and walked away from my computer and came back to a man still struggling. That's the, that's the problem. Like where if you're explaining so, and it's one of those things where it's like, why would there be a how to guide like next to the interface? They built it. They know how to use it. So like <laughs> watching like someone try to like force a square peg into a round hole and like everyone just sitting there while they try to like figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And like, I know you gave me that opportunity much later on uh, when I like snuck off and activated one of them without oh, yeah. anybody else knowing. And like, that was the, just the raw power behind it that you just gave us. Cause like, as you said, multiple times during that campaign, one of us could have just put the, the activating bracelet on smacked a crystal that we had onto it, leveled all of us to 20 teleported over to the, the big boss's headquarters and just like rained hellfire. But we did not Yeah. And it's like, there was the option to do whatever. <laughs> and there was also the option of failure where if we like messed up, we could have just, lost that's definitely one thing we were going to talk about like before like people play differently people like lead campaigns or it's like that's one thing definitely learned about alan it's like you really like to just like say here are the reins go forth because you like seeing like other people's perspective in like your world you definitely seem to do that a lot it's enjoyable thanks i know that we've we've actually talked about that gwen where you were like don't give me the reins as often (laughs) (laughs) you're like i don't want to do that and that's like a learning opportunity Cause I'm like, I'm, bro, bro, I'm I'm just the side character in the story of life. Why you? What the? Huh? I have plot influence. <laughs> well, I, we could keep talking forever. I'm sure, and who knows? Maybe we will at some point revisit, maybe at the end of the campaign, and see if we have any new stories that James has put us through, whether laughs or tears. But James, you said you wanted to meet Ronnie, so I did want to give you an opportunity to ask any questions of them uh, that they can edit their answers in. You know, it's it's been a it's quite a journey of like at the beginning it's like oh this guy Ronnie and I was like oh that's just Alan because you know he wants to he he doesn't have time this week and then over time I realized like no Ronnie's a real person Ronnie Ronnie's majoring I think you said at UNH he's majoring in like communications or something and I I just want to really congratulate Ronnie on a, a great job editing this podcast um, and, and all of that so uh, uh, let me know uh, maybe we can like add me on LinkedIn or something. Uh, I might be able to get you a job at like the, the university that I'm working at. Maybe 
Who knows? Good job, Ronnie. Thanks, James. It feels good to be acknowledged. It's not easy making these guys sound good. I'd love to network with you and possibly work with some professionals for once. Stay frosty. It's never been discussed. Uh, we always just call them them, her, him. They aren't very forward with us about whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> we, we talk in email. I've never even met the person. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He takes his paycheck by the wire. We PayPal. Uh, Offshore account. Thank you to, to all of you. Mike, Max, Dan, Gwen, James. Thank you guys so much for hopping on and doing this. I know it was last minute. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Lakey Inspired, for the use of our theme song, The Process. You can find this podcast pretty much anywhere you fucking want to listen to it. Uh, is anybody in our group working on anything that you want people to check out? Or do you want people to like hit you up on social media or anything? I, I take that silence as a resounding no. Uh, I was on this podcast recently nope. called Six Degrees of Celebration. You gotta check it out. <laughs> this is also the most accurate one because there are six of us. We're, we're all oh, six of the degrees. Oh, oh. The council is convinced. Yo, fate. Uh, thank you all for potting with me. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Play us out. Perfect. See, it's it's the crystal with the, the podcastian d- 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 development inside of it. D- 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 voila! You fiend. You know well, that was actually really entertaining. Can we get our friend back now, though? I'll consider it, but you know, the Shadow Realm—it's—it's it's kind of all the uh, approvals of going back and forth. It's—it's it's kind of a big thing. I haven't been doing this big bad evil guy thing very long. Kind of a side hustle for me, really. So, James, he seems pretty unsure. Can I? Can I roll insight? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, go ahead. What does Rayson think about this? <laughs> Uh, well, your your magic sword that speaks in your head and wants to destroy evil um, thinks that this guy, you know, seems to be kind of evil, but at the same time, um, might be a cool guy. You don't know. Hey, I got eighteen plus three, twenty one. Oh wow, that's that's pretty good. Um, yeah, he is. This guy is way in way over his head. He has no idea. He might have just kind of lost the instructions to return somebody from the shadow realm. You're not really sure. Guys, group huddle, real quick. Just group huddle. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, yeah, what's up? yeah. I think we could probably convince this guy to like join our party and give up evil. <laughs> I don't know. We have to con- convert some some stuff. He seems like first day on the job, didn't read the job description. Big bad level. If we, if we want to keep listening to those podcastian like story, we'll, we'll need him around, you know. We gotta get more of those crystals. <laughs> How you talk content. Uh, we were just talking about uh, who has the highest perception, or who has the highest persuasion. I think it's Dan's character. I was gonna say probably yeah, me. I have a story. <laughs> Alright, Dan, persuade him. Alright. <clears throat> so, we were, we were just having a, a chat. And we, we would like to offer you a job. <laughs> really, I, I, I'm, I can send you my CV, maybe. Um, to be honest, the workplace I'm currently in is super toxic, so I'd kind of like to, to explore new options. Yeah, it's so important to like where you work. We do have yep, dental. Yep. We do. I was going to say, we got dental, and you get to explore. Yeah, we've collected a lot of teeth. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. I, I'm very 
down with that, yo. Only thing is, bring your own horse. Oh. I'm, yeah, we're a BYOH. Is, is there like a time frame you need to hear back about this in? Or. Not really. I mean, you don't have to bring your own horse. You just have to walk if you didn't bring a horse. Oh, that's, that's fine. I, I, mean, I fly anyway. On a, I think we're going to do a, a short rest really skull. quick, maybe a long one. Um, so, yeah, we'll be around. All right. All right. Well, I'll, I'll send you a pigeon or, or a crystal or something and with my answer. Crystal Nexus, pigeon. do we have any stones left? Any, any stones of sending? Uh, no, but he's he's got my um he's got my WhatsApp, so he'll be able to just send me a sending in time. Okay. So just hit the <laughs> Very well. Uh, un- un- unfortunately, I, I'm really not sure about your friend there. It's really I'm, I said I put on my resume that I was proficient in in Shadow Realm DOS computer things, but really I just took like a course. And like a night school course, so I'm not really sure when he's going to be back. So I hope that's not a deal breaker. We'll do our best. Looks like we made a new friend. All right. Well, I've I've got to head out, so we'll probably wrap the session up there. I assume, um, James. I do have just one more question. I know we didn't just do combat, but did we level up? Um. No. No, you did. No. I hate this fucking game. Yeah, me too. Um, so I get an inspiration point. Sure. Yeah! <laughs> it was all worth it. <laughs>